and uh, read Psalm 6, and then we'll, we'll do what we normally do and watch our, our little video. And, and as I, I mentioned, you probably don't, don't remember because it's been so long, the, 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 the section after we, we, we did our intro, and uh, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Larry just did a great job filling in. Um, talking about calling and prayer, uh, the, our, our topic between now and the time that we stop is the church and your role in the church and serving in the church and the, just the vital nature of the church. And uh, I would say that's probably something that I've grown to, to understand and appreciate. Um, I think we have a tendency, uh, I don't think it's, it's purposeful, but we have a tendency as Baptists um, because we don't want to be Catholic and rightfully so, it's a false gospel, um, that, uh, that, that we, we see our salvation very individualistic. It's true, you have a, Jesus is a personal Savior. But as we talked about even on Sunday night, God never intended the Christian life to be lived alone. Um, you don't go to heaven through the church, but because you are going to heaven, you love the church. In fact, one of the evidences of salvation is that you love the brethren, and the brethren gathers on a, on a regular basis. So I, I, I would say one of the areas that I've, I've grown in significantly in my Christian life is the appreciation uh, for the church and the understanding the, of, its, of, of its importance. And we're going to talk about that uh, not only this morning but, uh, but for, uh, for several, uh, several Tuesdays. And so we'll begin on that on page uh, 133. But first... I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. It's October the 6th. It feels like October the 6th. Praise the Lord. It felt great. It smells great. It's just a crispness in the air. We have Psalm 6 before us because today is October 6th. So we'll read and then we'll pray. This is a, this is a lament. It's from David. In fact, uh, the early church saw Psalm 6 as the first penitential psalm. Uh, Tim preached Psalm 51, one of the more um, longer penitential psalms. And here is the, the very first one. The choir, uh, for the choir director with stringed instruments upon the eight string, uh, an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David. So we know who wrote it. And he's got some difficulties going on. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. Um, notice the, uh, just how he describes his condition. He asks the Lord... Um, not to do something, not to chasten him in his, in his wrath. Be merciful to me in judgment. Um, you don't want God to, um, to not discipline you. you the, ch- the chastening of the Lord is, is evidence that you're his. But you want him to be merciful and gentle as he, as he does that. But then he says, heal me, O Lord, for um, my bones are, are dismayed and my soul is is greatly dismayed. So he's got just a physical difficulties. Um, most commentators think that David is talking about uh, sleeplessness. He's unable 
to sleep because of something going on in his life, whether it's his sin or, or otherwise. And it's affecting him physically. And it's affecting his heart. Uh, rescue my soul. Um, he says, Return, O Lord, and rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness, for there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give, will give, you, give you thanks? Spare my life. Uh, because if I die, then, then I'm, I won't have the opportunity to, to give you thanks. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become uh, old because of my adversaries. It's pretty deep difficulty here. Depart from me, all you who work iniquity, and watch him turn here. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. Isn't that a, a blessed moment? You pray and then you finally lay hold of God. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Um, It does not sugarcoat anything. It paints life and our hearts and all of its different facets in difficulty and in joy and sin and repentance here is one of those places where, where David is crying out to you and he ends this psalm uh, with assurance. You'll hear that you'll answer. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Falling is part of life. And yet the lowest that we can fall is, is in your hand. No man can pluck us from your hand. We praise you for that. Thank you for these men. Thank you for your word. Teach us this morning. Remind us how, how precious the church of Jesus Christ should be to us. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we've got a little video here. Uh, setting us up for the importance of the church. Imagine there was a great king who loved his bride more than anything. And he's going to go on a long journey. And before he goes on that journey, he calls us, he calls, he calls you, he calls one man. And he says, you will be the steward and you will take care of my bride. Now, she's most precious to me. Here are the decrees by which you will care for her. This is what you shall do and shall not do with her. You must fulfill everything. Your faithfulness will be rewarded. Your unfaithfulness. Your unconcern for these decrees regarding my bride will be punished. And so the king goes on a long journey. And he's gone for a long time. And the steward begins to notice that the people are losing interest in the king. And they're losing interest in his bride, the queen, because she's somewhat pale and, and, and plain and, and old-fashioned for them. So he decides that in order to save the kingdom, he is going to remake the bride and and in doing that he's going to change her simple but elegant uh, white robe into something uh, a bit more eye-catching and flashy he's going to paint her face and change her hair and then parade her in front of carnal men 
in order to attract them somehow back into the kingdom. When that king returns, what is he going to do to that steward? I'm sure he'll take his life. He'll judge him most severely. He'll look at him and say, who do you think that you are? That you would do this to my bride, especially in light of the specific commands that I gave you. And we can see the same thing today. We see so many men that are trying to transform, redress, repackage the bride of Christ so that worldly men might somehow be attracted to the king. I think those men should be extremely afraid. When Uzzah reaches out to touch the ark, I mean, his heart, so to speak, is in the right place. He loves the ark. He doesn't want the ark to touch the ground. And he reaches out and touches it in a forbidden manner. And God essentially says to us, through killing Uzzah, this is not about what you want or what you feel. This is about what I say. And that matters. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not new. I don't know if you noticed some of the pictures there. Uh, there's about halfway through Paul Washer's um, little parable. It's a picture of Corinth. Um, you see the hillside um, that's there, that statue uh, of the, the skinny man. Um, there is uh, supposed to be the, the Apostle Paul. And in the background is, the, is where the, the temple uh, in Corinth took place. And you can look in the book of Corinthians and see the great attraction that the Corinthians had for, for the world, and they were following leaders in the church um, that, uh, that wanted to do exactly what, what Paul Washer was, was talking about. The great warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that, um, that you plant and you water, but God's the one that gives the increase, echoing what Jesus said in Matthew. Chapter 16, I will build my church. It's his church. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, it's not about the person, um, whether it's Paul or, or Peter or anyone else. It's, it's about Christ. And so be careful as you labor uh, in, in your task in building the church. Be careful uh, how you build. Be careful specifically how you build the materials that, that you, you use um, because you can build a, an edifice. You can build structures and things and, and you can attract people and, and uh, you can use worldly methods and marketing and all of that and, and get people to come. But, but in the end, in the last day, um, that wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up and, and consumed. Uh, and what Paul Washer reminded us in, in the little video this morning is, is you shouldn't be fearful about the wood, hay, and stubble being consumed. You should be fearful about what will happen after that when you stand before the one who you'll give an account for, for using those, those kinds of, uh, of materials. I was watching the Q&A uh, 
actually yesterday morning, it was the one on Sunday night that MacArthur did, I don't know, it was a couple, two or three weeks ago with Austin, Austin Duncan, and he was talking about, um, you know, just, just the waves of different things that have gone through the, the church, even in America, and he said, basically, pragmatism is dead. You know, in the time in which we live right now, um, you know, God wants you to be happy just doesn't really ring true. Uh, people are looking for truth. They're, they're looking for substance. Why even get out of bed? Why even be part of a church? So, you know, you've got these several decades of, of trying to use marketing and all of these type of things to, to package the church to unbelievers, and it's, it's just fizzling out um, because people are looking for... Uh, for substance, um, just what the world offers, and then trying to shoehorn what the world uh, uh, offers in, into into the church is just just vacuous. I mean, there's just there's nothing there. It's it's like we talked about on Sunday. It's the it's the juice box full of air, or the you know the the gum wrapper without without any any gum in it, and 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 it's not that that warning is not just for pastors. It's it, it's for you. Um, because you're part of the church and, and you have specific gifts and, and, and there's a stewardship that, that God has given to you. Surely, God has given it to, to me and to, to the shepherds and to the elders, but it goes far beyond that. We're just part of the church. We, we just have a specific spiritual gift and a specific task to do in, in faithful stewardship to Christ, but, but you also have a task and, and you're part of that. And so 1 Corinthians 3 applies to you just as well as it, it does uh, uh, to me. And so in Series 9, Study 2, we're talking about exercising spiritual gifts for the edification of the, of the body. The fundamental motives for service in the church, and you'll see why I showed you that video when we, we get into uh, uh, to the lesson. The church is, is precious. It's, it's not ours. We'll be judged by, by how we serve her when Jesus comes for her. And, and that's the motive that, that we're going to, to look at this morning. Why use your gifts? Why give your life to the church? Um, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, the, uh, this morning, the church and, and serving her. So the purpose of this study is to develop a solid understanding of the fundamental motives that drive the believer towards service in the local church and how the Spirit of God works with, with each one of us, empowering us for, uh, for, for service. And I would say the primary text, there's a number of passages listed there, but the primary text that, that we're going to look at is 1 Peter 4. And so if you want to turn to 1 Peter 4, beginning in verses uh, 7 through 9, um, that's really where this lesson is, is taken from. God's faithful. We know that. In His work to, to renew minds for the purpose of, of growing His people, to be more mature and, and Christ-like. And, it, and it's critical that, that we're encouraged by, by the work that He does uh, and in other believers as He produces the fruit that, that remains. I say the same thing almost every time we do a covenant commitment service. Um, 
remind us, remind the new folks that are coming into the membership of, of Timberlake um, that uh, why, why we do what we do, that this is Christ's church, um, that it's indestructible, that Jesus is, is the one who's building it. Uh, and, um, you know, Sunday night was, was, was encouraging. Uh, you know, we, we brought new people into the body, and um, I, I thought we were going to have to knock the wall out of one side. They just stretched from one side all the way to the other, and we were talking about that on Monday morning, just, you know, just, just how encouraging it is. And, and I said, um, I, I was very encouraged by that, but then I, I, I'm also looking at all of them. There are 34 of them there, and I'm going, Bema Seat Judgment, Bema Seat Judgment, Bema Seat Judgment. You know, the responsibility for every one of them. And so there, that's one side of the coin. We'll give an account for how we as a church shepherd all of those, those, those people. But you know, every one of those 34 individuals should be thinking, be my seat judgment, be my seat judgment. I'm going to give an account for how I serve in this, in this church. And, and, and we, we go through that process to remind us Somebody in my family, I forget who it was, said, I love reading the church covenant every time we do because every time I'm reminded for, uh, about my responsibility to, to everybody, everybody else. Um, I typically say the same thing. The church was, God never designed Christianity to be lived alone. And, you know, it's impossible to obey the New Testament practically and not be part of a, of a local church. Because how do, you, how do you love one another, serve one another, show hospitality to one another? All the one another commands in the New Testament, yeah, you, you do that for, for Christians in general. But the idea behind that is you do that in the context of a, of a, of a local church, that you're, you know, you're living with brothers and sisters, and, and you're showing you know, that, that hospitality to them. The, the fruit of the Spirit is difficult to, to, to exhibit in isolation. Um, the, the fruit of the Spirit, I, I love the work, ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in my life. But it starts there, and then it's to be an overflow into people around you. 1 Corinthians 12, the spiritual gifts that you received by, by the sovereign agent, the Holy Spirit of God, He chose how to gift you. And those are specifically given for use in the church. The idea that it's the world first and the church second, there's a a natural uh, thinking that everybody's dying and going to hell outside of the church, and so we need to give our lives to unbelievers. And you should give your your life to Christ for the the sake of of, of unbelievers. They're perishing, it's urgent, all of those kind of things. But when you look at the priority given in the New Testament, it's to believers and then the unbelieving world. In 1 Corinthians 8, when it talks about you should uh, offend an unbeliever, about the you know section about the idol meat, you should offend an unbeliever rather than rather than offend the conscience of a of a believer. And the logic behind that is an unbeliever will conclude it would be better to be an unbeliever than a Christian. I mean, look at the way they treat one another. Uh, Galatians six ten, you know, you you should you should do good to to all men, especially the brethren. There's a 
There's a priority that, that's there. God loves the world, but he loves the church in a very specific and particular way. It's a precious thing to be part of. And you should, should have that, that same kind of distinction. You should love, the, uh, uh, lo- love unsaved people, but you should have a precious and particular kind of love for, for the church. It's the same way with your family. It's a natural thing. I mean, you, you may... You may love your friends, you may have a, an affection for, for, your, for your buddies or for your co-workers, but you have a special particular kind of love for your family, don't you? And you even have a, a, a very intimate type of love for, for, for your wife if, if, you, if you have one. There's a, a familial love that, that should be resident in the heart of believers um, that, that actually comes from the heart of Christ beating in us. And because of that, we, we give our lives for the church and, and to the church. And to the extent that we do that and that we do that really well and the church is equipped and the church is functioning, then the unbelieving world is evangelized. You know, that, that's the order. It's, it's in here, and that spills over out, out there. If you neglect in here, if you neglect this, then, then you're not going to be very good at all out there, the same way with, with, with missions. Don't tell me you want to go all the way across the world to win somebody to Christ when you won't witness to somebody right across the street, right? I mean, you've heard that before. It's it's inside, and then it flows outside. And you see that pattern all through the New Testament. You're changed from the inside out. It it starts in here, in in the heart, and and then it turns into, into action. And so God's faithful. He's at work in you individually and, and in us collectively in the church, and he produces fruit that, that, that remains. Psalm 96, the second paragraph there, reminds us that, that we should tell of the works of the Lord constantly. We, we should tell them to one another. We should speak them back to the Lord in thankfulness and remind ourselves by, by speaking to our own souls about the way the Lord has worked. You see that all the way through the Psalms. You know, David is praying, he's singing, and He's singing to the Lord about the Lord. You don't know what to pray. Go to the Psalms and, and pray back to the Lord what you read there. Read it out loud. Lord, your word says X, Y, and Z. Help me believe this. Help me to put this into practice. Um, you know, David is doing that over and over. And gratitude carries you into the, into the more difficult seasons when the Lord ordains that you serve in ways that you, you haven't served um, yet, I'm not mystical, you know that, um, but a couple weeks ago, Courageous Churchmen, um, which is the, the conference for the Expositor Seminary uh, churches that we put on, it's in Jupiter, Florida, uh, they sent me the, uh, the theme, and, um, you know, we were talking about who would speak, and, you know, I'd be on a panel and those type of things. And the theme is the pastor under attack, difficulties in the, in the pastorate. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to be on that panel or not, you know, because that means sometime, probably between now and then, I'm going to come under attack. There's, there are difficult seasons in life. And, and yet, as I thought about them, that was, the, that was the, the, the first fleshly response of my heart. And I thought, well, you know, that's... There are good times and there are bad times. The Lord, it's all about Him showing His, his glory in, in difficulty and, and, in, and in 
enjoy. And, and what will carry you through those difficult times is exactly what, what it says here. It's, it's in the church. It's speaking to one another, uh, being thankful, reminding ourselves, speaking to our own souls about the way the Lord has worked, that gratitude will carry you through the more difficult times. And that happens in here. I mean, you get isolated, you're dead. There's so many parallels in, in the natural world that the, the Scripture uses. Um, you're protected in the flock. You're protected under a shepherd. You, your little sheep wander off out there in the middle of the wilderness. There are wild animals out there, um, and they're not nice. And a lot of Christians, sadly, live their lives that way. Um, they don't live under shepherds. And they don't live as part of the flock. And then you wonder, they wonder why they struggle in sanctification and, and why they're devoured you know, in, in life. And, and as Paul and Peter would say, I know better things of you, which is why you're here you know, this morning. Praise the Lord. So look at the third paragraph. Even if you're not called to one of the more formal ministries in the church, I would say vocational ministries, there is a personal ministry that the Lord calls each, each one of us to. and There are no spectators in the body of Christ. Isn't that one of the things that the, the culture has, has really labored to do? You sit out there, I stand up here, you come, you sit and listen, and then you leave. You, 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 know, you don't even need to come to church. Or you come and you don't even need to have a real pastor there. You just watch a guy on the, you know, on the screen, the Where's Waldo Church. You know, pastor's here one Sunday, pastor's there the other Sunday, flat screen guy. You know, and, and, and church is not just listening to a sermon. I mean, the church has as much to do with you as it has to do with me. I mean, the Word of God is vital. We, we need that. God has ordained that, that we hear from Him, and He's ordained men to... To, to do that. But there's a lot more going on on Sunday than just listening to the sermon. Um, there's how you serve uh, one another. And there's a million things going on in the background that, that, that aren't happening on the, happening on the platform. Um, sometimes you, you, you're able to see those whenever somebody doesn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't show up. There are no spectators on Sunday mornings. And so if you come on Sunday morning and you're primarily a spectator, God has better things for you. And he would want to provoke you even this morning to, to figure out how to change that. So what is, what's, what the, what's the motive? What are some of the motives for, for serving the church in this way? This is why I showed you the video. Fundamental motive, number one, is the end of all things is near. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Um. Yeah, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. It was Pastor Brody's lesson last week. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold, multifaceted, 
grace of God. Here's some specifics. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of, of God. The speaking ministries in the church. Whoever serves, the serving ministries in the church. Whoever serves is to do so as, as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, whether it's a speaking ministry or a serving ministry, those are the two primary categories of, of gifts in the church. You're either going to uh, be involved in a speaking ministry or a serving ministry, and sometimes those, those two overlap, but, but God's done that. So that in all things God will be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What you will do in the church and the building of the church and the glory that Christ, that God gets through Christ's church will reverberate into eternity. What you're doing now will spill over into, into eternity. And so backing up, Peter says the fundamental motive to do that, to either be engaged in a serving ministry or, or a speaking ministry and to use those gifts is because the end of all things is near. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's, let's look. Peter is writing at the end of the apostolic era, and he knows that the apostles will go off the scene, and the church will be in the hands of, of those on whom the Spirit of God has, has now put the mantle. There, there is a, a fundamental transition that happens. When you read the book of Acts, you watch it happen. In the book of Acts, you have Jesus. It, it is, he's ascending into heaven. We talked about this Sunday. Kingdom's not now. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to take my gospel from Jerusalem and you're going to take it to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you see that happen in the book of Acts. In the first part of the book of Acts, you have Pentecost. It's in Jerusalem. The gospel's going through Jerusalem. And, and John and Peter are the two primary uh, characters in the, in the book of Acts. Churches are being planted in Jerusalem. Persecution comes and drives them out of Jerusalem. And then... You go through Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the second part of the, of the book of Acts is all about how the gospel goes from Jerusalem west. And it's primarily Gentile, focused on the Gentiles. So you go from Peter and John, they kind of go off the scene, and Paul, Saul, comes on the scene. Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles, and he takes the, takes the gospel. You have Philip there in, in Samaria in, in the middle. And so you, you have the skeletal system of the book of Acts right, right, in, the, right in the beginning. But, but you'll also see a transition as it moves from, from, from Jesus to, to, to Jerusalem through his apostles to the uttermost parts of the earth. The book of Acts ends, doesn't really end. The gospel's still going and going and going and going, and it's still going today to the uttermost parts of of the earth. But, but you'll watch as, as, the, as the apostles move from Jerusalem out... Churches are being planted, and then needs arise in the church in Acts 6. And so uh, you don't have deacons there, but, but you have the, the origin of the office of deacons. So the apostles can give themselves to prayer and the word. And then in Acts 13, you have this discussion about elders going on, a plurality of men you know, in the church. And, and then you go over to the epistles that are written to these churches that are being planted, and you get specific instructions in the epistles about how those churches are to operate. And so by the time you get to 61 A.D. in the book of Philippians, which is the book that we're in, so Jesus, 33 A.D., 61, 62 A.D., Paul's prison epistle, 
He's writing to the saints, to the overseers, plural, and to the deacons, plural, in the church. So, so you have a transition happening from Jesus to the apostles and then from the apostles to, to elders and deacons in the church, elders being the overseers, deacons being the, being the servers, the speaking ministry and the serving ministry that's, that's happening in the, in the church. And then you go to 1 Timothy and, and Titus, which, which are some of the last letters that Paul writes, and he gives the qualifications for those men that serve in both of those capacities. And if you want to see it in, in, in a very condensed form, read the book of, of Ephesians. Because Ephesians in Ephesians 2.20 says that the foundation of the church, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The church was laid on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They had sign gifts. They're the, they're the originators. They're laying the foundation of the church. And you can see them laying that foundation in the book of Acts. And then in Ephesians 4, it talks about the gifts that Christ gave to his church. The foundation layers, apostles and prophets. You builders understand this well. Lay the foundation, and then somebody builds on that foundation. Who's building? Evangelists and pastors and teachers. They're the ones that take over. Missionaries and pastors and teachers take over and build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, why did I go through all of that? Because what these apostles, like Peter, what, what he is writing, he knows that this transition is happening, and his, his, his time is, is, is coming to an end as an apostle. And the sign gifts are trailing off, the apostles are trailing off, and they're going to hand the ball off to, to, to elders and, and people in, a, in the church. And, and so he's writing saying, you need to have the same urgency that, that the apostles did. The church will be in the hands of, of someone whom the, the Spirit will now put the mantle. He's put the mantle on, on, on missionaries and, and, and elders and... They're just simply there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and then the, the saints do the work. He saved them, put them into local bodies of believers, and, and told them to take the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth, and that's what we're still doing. And to do so, though, believers would have to be equipped to serve. And so Peter tells us the highest motive for, for Christian service is found there in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Some of the motives could have been to have great fellowship. You want to use your gifts? You want to equip in the church? Because we want to have great fellowship. We want to have a strong church. We want to have a good gospel witness. We want to be useful to the Lord. We want to bear fruit in our personal ministry. And all of those are biblical, and all of those are important. But none of these are the highest motive. What The motive, the highest and most powerful motive, is that the end of all things is, is near. Jesus Christ is returning quickly. That's why you give your life to the church. That's why you engage in serving ministry and, and speaking ministry. Because Christ has left you here to prepare his bride, to care for his bride, and he's coming again for his bride. And when he comes again, those who are part of caring for that bride, you and your spiritual gifts, me in a shepherding capacity, will give an account for how we have treated that, that bride. Um, Jesus Christ is returning quickly. And we're closer now to His return than in any other time in history. Everything is moving towards Christ's kingdom, the eternal state in, in God's glory. Isn't that what Jesus is always talking about in the parables? 
Matthew 25, um, 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. It's king, he's going away. He left stewards in charge. He gave each of them talents, and then he's coming again. We give an account. If you, if you think about what Peter is saying here, he's not saying anything different than what Jesus said. All the parables are all about, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, I'm going to leave you in charge. I'm going to give you a responsibility. You're going to be a steward, but I'm coming back, and when I come, about, I come back, you're going to give an account. I'm, I'm resourcing you. I'm charging you. I'm giving you everything that you need in order to be able to, to do that. And... And now go do it. And we're in the go do it phase. And what motivates us is that Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back soon. And we're going to, to, to give an account. And that motive should drive everything in your life, your family, your work, and, and your ministry. This is where we derive our passion, where we... We source our energy. It's the reference point that does not move. I, I, I think that's one of the most important statements in, in this section. It's a reference point that does not move. Everything that we do is, is stacking up and, and is going to culminate in this, this moment, this reference point when when we will stand before the Lord. Um, and then our lives will be evaluated. And, and, and your life goes through phases. And in each of those phases, there's temptations to, to focus on that phase. You know, when, when you're, in, you're in college or, you know, you're in both tech school or whatever it is, and, and you're thinking about getting a job, there's a temptation that, that that's... That's what's going to be dominating your, your motives and your thinking. I don't want to work right now in order to get a good job. You know, um, I want to want to get get into the union hall and become part of of uh, you know, good good role here. Good job. Um, then there's the marriage temptations to be thinking about. Uh, you know, just got married and want to want to want to build a relationship. You know, that's there and. And is it bad to, to be thinking about getting a good job or be married? No. But the temptation is that that becomes the orbit for your life. You know, it's the, it, it's the, the gravitational force that drives everything that you're doing. And so, you know, I can't serve in the church. I can't do this and I can't do that because I, I've, I've got I've to work extra. I've got to study. I've got to do other. I can't do these things because, I, I, you know, I just got married. And, and, and then you move into the kid stage, which never really ends and lasts for a really long time. Um, and, and then, so you're living for your kids and you're, you know, I mean, obviously there's times when they're, you're not sleeping because they're not sleeping and then, then they're, they're, you know, they're walking around and then, you know, they're teenagers and all of those kinds of things and you see the danger in that stage and, and then there's the empty nest and now you've got to figure out, you know, who your wife or your husband, you know, is if you're if you're a woman because you've been dedicated to all these other things, and then there's retirement. You see how all of these different phases of life can become your reference point. Peter says you have one reference point, and that's when you stand before the Lord, because your entire life and all of those phases that that's what matters. 
Um, none of those things are bad. But in every one of those phases, live for Jesus Christ and make the church part of every one of those, those phases. One of the things I said before I, I came to, to the Lord is had this mentality of, you know, it was be good or bad and, and it's religion. And you think church is what you do whenever you get old. You know, when you kind of live wherever you want to live. I mean, that, it's, no church is, is, is I mean, it's, it's your lifeblood. It's, it's how you grow. It's where God's ordained that, that you grow. And it's where God's ordained that you give the best that you have. The best abilities that you have, the best, the best level of energy that you have, the best of your resources, you give that. You don't give your, you don't give your leftovers. Uh, uh, Pastor Tim White, never forgotten this, this uh, um, object lesson. He was a campus pastor at TCS, Tim's plant, church planting force at Winchester Baptist in Winchester, Virginia. He was in this church, what, 21 years, something like that, as an associate. Before that, he was a youth pastor. And he did this illustration, you know, the passage in Malachi about not giving the Lord your leftovers. He had the teachers at TCS for an entire week save all of their leftovers at home and leave them sitting out. And he brought them in and he put them on a table right in front of the door for when the, when the kids walked in. So that when, when you walked into chapel, you had to walk by the, by the table. And on this table is, you know, green meatloaf and just moldy, nasty stuff growing. And then he preached the passage about Malachi. And he said, you wouldn't eat that, but that's what you offer to the Lord. We have a tendency to, to think as the church is the last thing that we do. If we have extra time or extra energy, and, and, you know, and, and I'm really, really busy, and I can't come to church, and I'm really, really tired, and I can't come to church, but you go to the grocery store and get your food, why wouldn't you come and get your spiritual fruit? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It ought to be number one. It ought to be first. And the motive for that is because the end is near when you'll stand before Christ and then give, give, an, give an account. It's the, it's the orbit. It's the reference point. So why are we goofing around with frivolity when Christ's return is near? That's the, the punch in the mouth in B that's there. Look at number two. All things, the end of all things means that Christ is establishing his kingdom. It's not just about judgment. There, there's an accountability that, that, that's coming. But, but what's coming is the kingdom. Blessing is coming, and you want to be part of that, of that blessing. It's the teleos word group related to the ultimate completion. It implies that something ends, but, but not merely chronologically, something reaches its planned culmination. There will be a moment when, when the days of earth will be over. World's going to be rolled up like a scroll. It's going to burn in fervent heat, and before that, there's a kingdom coming. Peter is saying this 
because he wants us to, to live for that time. And he's giving us the, the sense of, of nearness of all through the, through, the, through the letter. Salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace to be brought to you this future. Uh, him who is ready to judge at the revelation of his glory. Glory is to be revealed when the chief shepherd appears. I mean, this theme is all through First Peter. Uh, when I was on vacation, I always do a biography. Uh, this year I chose uh, Livingston, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Um, opened up uh, Africa uh, to both commerce and Christianity. He was passionate uh, against slave trade. I wish everybody would, would read the book because you would, you would get a lot of, of good contemporary context. This, the idea that you know, that Americans went to Africa and you know, stole slaves and brought them back here to work in the cotton fields is, is nothing like it happened. Africans were selling Africans into slavery. Um, one African tribe would go to another African tribe and, and uh, take hold of them and sell them to the Arabs and to the Portuguese. Uh, very similar to what happened with the Native Americans, the Indians, one you know, Indian group is trying to kill another Indian group and enslaving one another. Slavery has nothing to do with the black and white thing. It has to do with the heart thing. But um, if you, you cannot read Livingston and not, be, not just see this driving motive that we're talking about this morning. I mean, this man was driven. That wasn't surprising to me. Because, you know, you read books about missionaries. I mean, the reason we're reading about Livingston was there's something obviously remarkable and unique about his life. Um, he, he lived his life. I have no idea. I mean, I don't even know if he counted how many times he had malaria. I'm talking 20, 30, 40, 50 times. I mean, just constantly sick, driven um, you know, for, for the gospel and the end of, of, of slave trade in, uh, in Africa. But what was interesting was reading about his wife's perspective and his children's perspective. It wasn't, woe is me, dad is gone. Their entire family had this idea that, that the end is near and that Christ is coming. And we need to get the gospel to, to these in darkness in Africa and we're willing to give up dad or whatever comforts that we have because that's what really matters and that's going to reverberate in, into, into eternity. And I was challenged, is that how I live? Um, is that how my wife lives? Is that how my children lived? Um, and if not, is they're free moral agents. They can make their own choices. They have their own brains. But did I model that well for them? Do I model that well for the church of Jesus Christ? Do you model that well for your family, for your peer group, for your Sunday school class, for others around you? Um, are, are you someone that, 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 that lets off that, that warmth and that light and attracts other people? Man, I want to live that way. Um, motivated that. That's provoking one another to love and good works. That's what you do in the church. God knew how long he would take from man's perspective. Everybody was saying, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. Um, the Lord is coming, regardless of when he comes. 
your life is fleeting, Psalm 90. Peter is trying to give us some spiritual altitude here. We must redeem the time. And the Lord knew that we would be small-minded and small-hearted, forgetting that the Lord is coming back, and without this motivation, we would waste time and not produce fruit as we wait for Jesus' return. The nearness of the end means that we should live with an expectancy that judgment is coming. And that sense of expectancy, as I said, is all over the apostolic writings. Father's fixed the time. It's the last hour. Christ put away sin at the consummation of the ages. The day, the coming of the Lord is at hand. The time is near. The Lord is coming quickly. The day is drawing near. And you don't want to live like a practical scoffer. What do I mean by that? What does Peter say that the unbelieving world says? The fact that Jesus hasn't come back yet. (sighs) Been saying that God's coming back and Jesus is coming back for for centuries. And come back yet. Know what Peter said? In this passage about to the Lord a thousand years is a day and the Lord's not slack or slow concerning his promises. He's coming. It's because he hasn't come. Don't forget. So you would never say that out loud. I would never say that out loud, but it's possible to, to live like a practical scoffer. How do we do that? By, by not living as if the Lord is coming back not living in the church as if the Lord is is coming back. And so practically that means that we should have open spiritual eyes so that when the Spirit of Christ puts someone on our path, we're we're ready to share the truth. You're going to leave here this morning and you're going to go somewhere. And I know you have a task to do. You shouldn't steal from your employer. You should do a good job. But you're also going to be interacting with people and God may give you an opportunity to share the gospel or to share about the importance of Christ or maybe say one word, maybe give a, give a, you know, give, give a word of, of testimony. The point is, are you thinking that way when you leave grace and granted or every other day? It's so easy to get dominated with other thoughts. Um, and in one sense, don't beat yourself up because the whole point that this is in the Bible is, is the fact that we need to be reminded about that over and over and over. And you'll be reminded about that today because you had this lesson, but then tomorrow you may forget about it, and so you'll need to be reminded about it again on Sunday or reminded about it again on, you know, on Wednesday or reminded about it whenever it is. Um, but thinking that way and living that way have open spiritual eyes. Practically, what does it mean to live with this expectancy? The motive. It means that we should have open spiritual eyes. And we should live holy and circumspect lives and have a broader vision to see what God wants us to do to further His kingdom purposes. And so Peter's going to tighten up the way we think about this in uh, in the very next
the very next motive. Somebody give me a testimony about how important the church has been in your life. Or maybe like me, you didn't think it was as important as it was until something happened and the church ministered to you. Mark? Yeah, when I came to the Lord, it was fairly natural because all of my friends were, all of my drinking buddies, I mean, none of them were saved. And my mother was a believer, but other than that, nobody I worked with or was around you know, was, was, was a believer. So there wasn't any, I now have a new family. I now have new friends. I don't have anybody other than that. And so it never it never even occurred to me to you know to go outside of the you know of the uh, of the church. One of the I mean there were two things that I'd never experienced before I came to Lynchburg. This is one of the reasons I did my dissertation on committed church membership. Two things that I never experienced. Uh, I never experienced women in ministry in in my church where I was from. Women deacons, women pastors, women preachers or teachers or anything. Never experienced that before I came to, to, to Lynchburg. And the second thing is I never experienced the, the idea of just that you would go anywhere other than your church. And I remember coming to, to, to Lynchburg and I, I would have some, because there's like 400 churches here, right? You know, I have somebody say, oh yeah, I go to Thomas Road on Sunday morning and I go to Heritage on Sunday night because they have an Awana program there. And on Wednesday, you know, we, we go there on Wednesday, you know, night to wherever because, uh, you know, our kids like the youth group. You go to three different places, all because I like Jonathan's preaching, my kids like the Awana, and my youth like the, the, the youth group. And I, I really had no context for that. I wasn't being critical. I just, why, why wouldn't you go to, I mean, why would you do that? I mean, when I came to Christ, I went to the church, that I was saved in, and I went there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and it never occurred to me to, to like, you know, go to the grocery store and, you know, I get to pick from, you know, 25 different kinds of ice cream, the kind that I liked. I mean, it was just, you're part of the people here, and they've got difficulties and challenges and imperfections, but that that's part of it. So do you. You just commit to these people, and you serve these people, and well, you do. It's, it, it's life. It's not like Mark saying something that you're outside of that. Other testimony. Yeah. You're echoing the time is near. Your personal time is near. The second thing I would say to you is the plan that God has for you is what we're talking about this morning. The plan is in, in the church. And, and rather than looking for, for numbers or impressions or otherwise, look to the Word of God because that's that's what uh, you know. What will give you the, you know, the the, the clarity that uh, you know that that you need. So, um, what I want you to do for next time, 
is uh, read over the fundamental motive number two, the fervent love for, uh, for one another, which our brother read to us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. And we'll come right out of, uh, of this end of the uh, all things is near, the first fundamental motive, and we'll look at the, look at the second one. As you go uh, throughout your day, practically remember, bottom page 35, have open spiritual eyes so that when the Spirit of God puts someone in your path, you're ready to share the truth and then, and then live uh, in such a way. Brings glory to Christ. Father, we love you, and we ask that you would use us today. Thank you that you have given us the church. What a precious thing that we get the privilege to be part of. Thank you for um, just how you remind us that you've given us one life, um, that our life is but a vapor, and that we'll stand before you one day. Help us to give all of our efforts and all of our energies to you and to your bride and to to do that with great care. We love you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.